Toad. 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 Yep. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Small Consolation, the only podcast where we talk about video games. <laughs> and Brandon drinks too much, and then we all shout over each other. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get started. Sounds good, James. Uh, glad to see you returning with us. Shut up, Tyler. <laughs> Here in the driver's seat today, you've got me, Evan. You've got Brandon. Ah, wine. We've got Jared. Mm, water we've got tyler <laughs> oh that good old oxygen <laughs> and we got nick yes i don't have anything to consume though <laughs> <laughs> and then joining us today is our fabled sixth fire team member who we've probably talked about once or twice but we're just gonna hype him up now james james say hi to the people hey <laughs> way, way to go see see legendary right there that, that's the that's the stuff that right there that's why that man owns this podcast <laughs> hey wait a second <laughs> so uh who's before we dive into the episode who's ready for some trivia oh god well okay so no one ever wants to play trivia with me if it's Harry Potter trivia, then I've got this. We, we <laughs> you and I want a medal. <laughs> and I yeah, still have it. I, I also still have my Harry Potter medal trivia. Somewhere. It looks like Optimus Prime, but it's a medal. It, I never thought about that. It does look like the Autobots head. Wow. <laughs> That's a topic for another day. <laughs> no, this is all video game trivia. Um mostly it, i think it leans more towards like sony and nintendo sorry whoever plays an xbox and no we're not listens to this make, Gosh. make, make, make better life choices okay come on guys you might be excluding all three of the people of our 29 total viewers <laughs> are you saying there's not going to be like fifa trivia in this 26 <laughs> 26, sorry, I was adding three. You're here over here <laughs> trying to subtract three. And I mean, six of them are in this room, so. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I don't know if James has been listening. Have you been listening to us yet? I have not. Wow. Wow, supportive friend right there. You know, I just thought it would be better to go in blind. <laughs> that's what she said. Gosh. All right, all right. so what's this, what, what's this trivia? <laughs> all right, it's all video game based. Some and old... is there a prize? Um, for my, participating, my eternal love and affection for, for participating. Yeah. Okay, cool. I can do that. <laughs> um, keep track of your own points. Cause I'm not. Okay. Before we start, this love is unconditional, right? Uh, <laughs> there, there might be a couple of quid pro quos later on down the road. Unconditional sounds like a gateway <laughs> to abuse. It does. Unconditional on the condition that we participate. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so ready for question number one? Hit it. All right. Uh, the character Mario appeared in what first appeared in what game? I'll, g- I'll give you your choices. So there's all there's a question. Are we buzzing it? Do we just scream it out if we know it, <laughs> or like raise your hand? If you if you know it, you get a point because there's there's like no way to 
to like okay i was gonna say who got it first i'd be um, like latency though i said it first <laughs> we should what if we all just came to a consensus and then we could all just be wrong I mean, that that is also possible you can all be wrong james is on my team <laughs> okay okay so yeah uh the character mario first appeared in what game dr mario <laughs> super mario brothers or donkey kong donkey kong donkey, donkey kong. kong yep Yay, everyone gets a point. Donkey Kong! <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> um, all right, question two. Alfonso Ribeiro sued Epic Games after his signature Carlton dance appeared in what game? Fortnite. Overwatch, Fortnite, I, or uh, Minecraft? Fortnite. There I, yeah, there I go. <laughs> I'm Fortnite. really bad at this. This, this whole waiting thing. Just, yeah. Uh... yeah, definitely Fortnite. <laughs> Spoiler. Brandon, you got to cancer say. that is video games. Brandon, you got to speak up, or else I'm taking your points. Can you okay. hear me? Yeah. Oh no, you, you're you're just waiting for everyone else to oh. answer. <laughs> is that dance in Destiny too? Is what? Is that dance in Destiny? It might be, but it's I don't remember what it's called. But I'm almost so positive did, I've seen it. Did Fortnite just call it the Carlton dance? I, oh, no, I don't believe so. No. They called it something different. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the lawsuit got dropped anyway, but. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, question number he three. Didn't have that Sue Epic money. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's an achievement for you. Uh, question three. In the first Avengers movie, what video game does Stark catch one of the guys playing on the helicarrier? He's Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> Your options are Space Invader, Star Fox, or Galaga. 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 I wasn't listening to the question. <laughs> wow. Well, it wasn't Pikachu, so sit down. <laughs> it wasn't Pikachu. <laughs> it's Jigglypuff. Um, skip that question because it's not relevant to this week. Um, okay. Which of these three characters has not, I repeat, has not appeared in all four Super Smash Brothers games? Your options are Bowser, Donkey Kong, or Jigglypuff. Bowser. Yeah. I'm going to default to the group. Yep. <laughs> I guess so. He's not in the first one. Is yeah, he? Bowser no. wasn't in 64. In, in, yeah, in 64. Okay. You are right. It was Bowser. Um, next question. What is the best-selling console of all time? PS2. Uh, Game Boy or Game Boy Color, the N64, or the PlayStation 2? PS2. Yeah, I'm going to go PS2. Yes. Ha! Well. <laughs> uh, yeah, PlayStation 2 is number one. Nintendo DS is second and then the game boy color is the, the, the DS game boy one. is yeah. that like per not even the 2d or just like it is amount of market share yeah i went with units sold um ps ps2 is 155 million units uh nintendo ds is 154 and then the game boy game boy color is 118 that's crazy because i feel like video games have gotten more popular since then well but, but ps2 is cheaper yeah. yeah how many how many units has the switch sold uh i feel like that's got to be up there it, it just hasn't been out have... very long like that's the thing that True. ps2 has yeah. going for it was just such a long market life like yeah. basically they were selling the ps2 way after similar consoles of the same generation i feel like so it had that really long tail off yeah. i guess yeah. there wasn't really like the like three it was basically the 64 the ps2 is what you had right because it was for xbox yeah, yeah xbox, oh, wait. Kind of oh, that's true. PS2, xbox came out that, around ps3 is that gamecube xbox and ps2 or was that the playstation 3 no the wii came out for the ps3 yes. yeah and... oh god i feel old <laughs> 
No, I think the GameCube was actually one of the worst selling unit or consoles. Surpr- yeah, which is surprising because the other two had better graphics. Yeah. yeah I've, oh, I've kind read of. F- I don't know. The GameCube feel like some of the games were definitely better looking than the PS2 games. It, the, well, the GameCube definitely came out after the PS2, if I remember. Like right. Resident Evil 4 on the GameCube definitely looks better than Resi 4 on PS2. Right. So that's what I was thinking is the PS2 came out before the GameCube did and it was kind of the like, well, yeah, it was kind of the games. You had more like adult games on the PS2 because Nintendo didn't really, you still weren't like allowing like a ton of third party (laughs) stuff. Next question. In the God of War series, Kratos is the son of what Greek god? Your options are Ares, Kronos, or Zeus. 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 I actually didn't know that know that answer. I just know that it wasn't Ares. <laughs> right. Are, that's right. that was kind of the boat I was in too. I honestly couldn't remember if it was Zeus or not. So that's the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I just remember Ares really pissed him off in the first game, and then Zeus really pissed him off in the second game. And then I think probably somebody I think pissed him off in the third game. I mean, mostly his son, <laughs> he, I feel he like. He was mad at <laughs> no, that's Yeah, the I assume the game. new one, something has pissed oh, him yeah. off, but I don't know entirely. His child. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, four was his child. Boy. Four. Boy. Boy. <laughs> um, next question. What Super Mario Brothers character tells Mario the famous line that his princess is in another castle? You have Luigi, Bowser, or Toad? Toad. 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 Yep, that's right. How did Toad always get by Bowser? <laughs> Who knows? I think uh, Peach always, uh, you know, sacrificed herself so that her minions could escape. Probably. Or maybe it was Toad sacrificing himself <laughs> to get past Bowser. <laughs> I mean, you never Bowser know. busts in the door and Toad just turns back into a mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> and last question. I, I threw one in for the Xbox bros. Um, what is Master Chief's first name? Your options are Adam, John, or his name is never given. It's John. Master. I don't think it's ever given. His first name is Master. It's totally <laughs> no. John. Because I remember thinking, like, that's the most stupid, generic, dumb name you could possibly <laughs> give Master Chief. Uh, James is actually right. His first name is John. Okay. I think his designation is, like, John112 or something. They do it. They say it in like Halo Three or something, like right before he dies or something, because they're like, "Oh, we have to like explain the origin or whatever." And it's like, dude, the cool thing about Master Chief is his helmet. Like, yeah. you don't have to give him a name. <laughs> He's like Doom Guy. It'd be like if Doom Guy yeah. came out and said, like, "Yeah, Doom, Doom Guy. guy his name is John." Well, you see, Doom Guy's name <laughs> is actually John, and he was in the Marines, and then he went to hell. And... John Stalvern. Yeah, Colonel <laughs> <laughs> Joseph. So I think James won by virtue of knowing that last question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I've never owned an Xbox. <laughs> I have owned an Xbox. Does that mean I win? Do I win an Xbox? Is that the prize? <laughs> you win your Xbox. Oh, okay. The point is we all won and Brandon lost. <laughs> <laughs> On that, we can agree. I've got a half bottle of wine left. I think I'm the one that's winning. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway, yeah, that was my game. Brandon, take us to the next thing. Okay, Man Eater came out today. It looks absolutely fantastic. It's a little <laughs> gory in the beginning. I don't know, man. I was seeing some pretty, uh, the reviews weren't being too kind to it. Really? What did, <laughs> what did you see? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I saw a few less than like stellar reviews, but didn't actually, you know, I haven't gone through them and read anything yet. Well, Tyler, has anyone said that it's worse than Jaws 3D? 
you know, someone might have. Again, I need to do my research here, whoa, but, whoa. but probably not. Is Nick besmirching Jaws 3D? <laughs> sure sounded I like it. Did. Tyler, do you remember when I had Jaws 3D on my PC? Uh, <laughs> vaguely, maybe. That game, you could swim up to somebody. Maybe it wasn't as good on consoles, but let me tell you, on PC, you'd swim up to somebody, like left click or whatever to bite them. And then you shook the mouse to like move Jaws's head back oh, and forth. Okay, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Kind of <laughs> like the most rewarding gameplay ever. Yes, the game maybe you didn't do anything in it. You just like broke into SeaWorld and ate people. But <laughs> and you had a, like a boss fight against Shamu. That was kind of cool. But <laughs> what? Yeah, you have a boss fight against an orca in SeaWorld. Wow. <laughs> but. The mouse shaking, like in that game, like you just swim up on somebody, bite their leg, and then just spaz out on the mouse. It makes you feel like a bloodthirsty shark. Like, so you you, you played Depth, right, with me? Like when we we got that game, that kind of had a similar. Yes, it mechanic. was like that, except that Depth was better. Than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there you go, Brandon. If you want a shark shark game, you should check out Depth. Uh, it's kind of like a sharks versus divers, and that one I can attest is is pretty good, but. I was instead of working I watched a YouTube video like 15 minutes of gameplay like the first 15 minutes of gameplay and you start out as just a you know fully grown tiger shark uh, bull shark sorry fully grown bull shark and you go through the um, the tutorial you know like you would in any game it's really interesting though the the there's a narrator for your tutorial and the narrator is talking like it's a documentary. Um, and it's really funny, some of the audio that he has, because you learn to jump at some point, you know, breach the, breach the surface of the water and jump out of the water. Right. And you can jump onto land and like docks and stuff. Okay. And if you get stuck on land for a little bit too long, the narrator goes, this is unusual behavior. Sharks don't normally like to be out of water for too long. Is <laughs> <laughs> it? Uh, David Attenborough. I'm not. <laughs> that would make it better. I don't know who that is. He's the what? British guy who does all of the nature documentaries. Oh. Is it Samuel? You may not know who he is, but I guarantee you've heard him. You've, you've heard him. Uh, no, he's not British. Um, but it's really so. You do a whole, um, you know, tutorial in this fashion, and you get to the point where you, you know, you level up a little bit, and you can open up the menu, and there are evolution slots that you can unlock and like the first evolution slot you unlock is sonar um and you can you know upgrade that a couple times apparently but uh you go through the you go through the you know near the end of the tutorial you go up against uh well you wreak havoc on a beach and you have to you know eat a bunch of beach goers (laughs) and then people come out in boats and like scuba divers and stuff. And they start shooting at you uh, and trying to, you know, drive you off or kill you or whatever. Um, The tutorial ends by you encountering what maybe might be a later boss or the final boss. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, but it just kind of acts like that. And he ends up catching you. Uh, I don't know if, if there was a way that he could have not caught you, but it looks pretty linear in this case. And uh, he basically strings has a shark strung up on his boat, and he kills you. You die. Um, and it's pretty. It's pretty graphic. Um, he kills you by basically slitting your stomach all the way from like your navel all the way to your neck. And Gasp. 
he then, yeah, rips out a baby, like a baby shark, like it was pregnant. And then baby shark plays through the, the entire rest of the, the game. And then Werner Herzog <laughs> comes in, he's like, ah, oh, yes, this is very natural behavior yeah. for the shark to eat everyone on the beach. It is a jungle out there. <laughs> but then he i guess you know he's a, he's a shark hunter and he's looking for some really really big shark and for some reason he marks the baby uh with his knife like he puts a, a scar he scarves the 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 so he shark the and baby of a man throws it in the water uh, and like lets it just you know, having releases traumatized it. it uh thereby giving it a lifelong hatred of humans yeah yeah Right, and it goes on a um, bioevolution that, um, you know, over the course of a single game. You've just been tricked in playing Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what it looks oh, like that is that one. you become, the, the playable character is this little baby shark, and you basically play its lifetime. And so you'll eat and grow, and you'll, you can unlock different evolutions and different powers and stuff. Um, and just in the, in, like I said, in the first, you know, 30, 30 minutes to an hour of gameplay or whatever, um, you just run around and you eat things. There are places to explore and um, there are bosses. So like one of the bosses, one of the first bosses. Is an octopus? Um, <laughs> it, well, you get dropped in, a, in like a bayou. So one of the first couple bosses is like an alligator. And so it, or a crocodile. I'm not sure. I think it's a crocodile. Uh, alligator. If it's an America alligator. I don't know if it's an America or not. I think there's a um, the the quest line. It's like uh, something about a crocodile. <laughs> so I think I'm probably gonna go in on it. It's like 35, 40 bucks. Um, if the wallet allows me, I probably will will buy it. <laughs> Sounds like one of those games that once it's on sale for like five bucks, I'll maybe think about it. Yep. That's, uh... <laughs> You'll have to let us know, though, for sure. If there's a Kraken in it, that or likelihood goes up. The other guy. Uh, <laughs> the... Oh, yes, the other guy. Oh, it's not Barbosa. <laughs> that it's, guy. Uh... Captain Barbosa? <laughs> the Davy Jones guy. I mean, I would buy that game. Um, <laughs> Bill Knight. Captain Barbosa and the great white shirt. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think uh, of that. Right, right. David Not to Jones? be confused with Bill Nye. No. <laughs> the science guy. <laughs> Bill, 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 Bill. Kraken, Kraken. Okay. <laughs> so, James, interview time. You're uh, a little bit of royalty in, the, in these parts. You're uh, the clan admin of the People versus Eververse. I am. Tell us, tell us a little about a little bit about your journey and and how it feels. Well, you know, when I first joined the clan, um, I was power hungry, uh, <laughs> as I am, and uh, so I immediately started uh, politicking my way to the top, and uh, was fortunate enough to watch the, uh, the fall of several of the existing admins and uh, clawed my way into the top position. Uh, through through no small amount of effort on my part and um, you know once I was there I think the clan has really flourished under my uh, under my leadership <laughs> my silhouette blacked out for this but he pushed the leader I did uh, there was there was foul play but uh, you know I just knew that I could do the job better and uh, 
you know, I think that the results speak for themselves. I think when I took over the clan, uh, we had around 40 active members or so. And, um, you know, under my leadership, I think that's grown to about six active members. So <laughs> you know, I think, <laughs> you know, who can argue with that? Um, just, those a, are the just a fantastic job as clan leader. <laughs> it really is not the even best. the six in this room either. <laughs> um, you know, I just, yeah, that's I, true. You lost lost one of the six in the room. I've kind of adopted a policy of you know let let people come to you. You know, there's no sense in getting out there and trying to recruit people that you don't know where they've been. You know, what clans they've been in. They're they're probably noobs, uh, most of them. So, but, you know, the real probably thing working for callus. I mean, yeah, I mean. And, you know, lately my policy has been to um, not approve new members and, in fact, not really even play the game. Um, and so <laughs> I, think, I think that that's been working out quite well. Um, I'm level 280 in Neo 2. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just feel like really under, under my takeover, our clan has, has really prospered. <laughs> so uh backstory for listeners the people uh james is the administrative personnel of our destiny 2 clan which just means that we have a group of people that uh, affiliate themselves with each other and he has named it the people versus eververse why why <laughs> just just why <laughs> when i first joined the clan um i think our name was it was kick him in the cabal. Something about cabals, yeah. Yeah, kick him in the cabals. Which, you know, that's that's just crude. Who are we kidding? Um, and <laughs> I, I recall our, our clan tag was uh, OTLR, which I yeah. think it was about six months before I was ever informed what that meant because it had nothing to do <laughs> with with the clan name, and I don't think anyone in the clan really knew what it stood for either. I, it, um, it's only the loyal remain, right? I remember yeah, seeing yeah. that. That is somewhere. correct. Um, which is quite ironic. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we did change it, so. <laughs> I mean, look, we're still there. So, but. Um, Some of us. <laughs> well, okay. So at any rate, I, you know, I was never too married to the clan name that we had. Um, I think it changed a couple of times before before I took over. Um, at least once. I can recall we, we, we turned into the Bungie Vex Bungie released an update yeah. that broke the clan name. Um and uh, you know that was that was just kind of a, a sign of things to come because, uh, you know, after that, you know, and just Bungie's behavior, just seeing how they just well, and I don't, you know, that's for a later episode. The <laughs> the game is good, but Tess Eververse and her <laughs> her boss, who I'm not even sure is real. Um, because she keeps talking about him, and I don't know anyone who's ever seen him. We're talking about Fenchurch. Yeah, she's always like, "Well, you know, Fenchurch this, Fenchurch that. Oh, you don't like you don't like that this ornament for a gun that looks basically the same is four hundred and fifty thousand bright dust." Well, you know, I don't really set the prices. That's all Fenchurch. You know, I'll talk to him about it, but you know, what can you do? And it's just, you know, at least at the point that I named the clan, it had gotten to a pretty ridiculous state where, say, okay, so it was Shadowkeep came out, right? And it's the moon theme. There's a bunch of hive, you know, stuff or whatever. 
And there's basically no hive themed gear that you get over the course of Shadowkeep. You get like astronaut looking stuff. And yep. like all of the cool hive stuff that fits the theme of the expansion is in Eververse and sometimes comes up for Bright Dust. It's occasionally available. Um, but it's very expensive and you have to buy each piece individually. And so if you're like me and you play three different characters, you're basically not going to get the like expansion themed content that they're putting out unless you just start writing checks to test Eververse. <laughs> she's so, probably just going into the back and uh, she's got like this little Roomba that has Fenchurch like taped onto the top of it and she's uh, <laughs> consulting <laughs> that. Uh before setting prices. It just became obscene, the level of economic abuse that the Destiny community was experiencing from Eververse. But you know people were buying it. That's why they kept doing it. Oh, yeah. Of course, the bourgeoisie, but, you know, <laughs> somebody had to start a revolution. So <laughs> Liberate the proletariat. A workers I'll show revolution. you an invisible People who are really hand. out there in Destiny grinding, doing the labor, running through a bunch of weird puzzles in the infinite forest and spending 12 hours a day on Reddit trying to figure out like what the hell is going on. Those people, I just felt like it was time for us to rise up and <laughs> seize the means of ornament production from the tyranny of Eververse. Um, and so I, I named our clan bravely, I might add, the people versus <laughs> Eververse. And, yeah. Um, all six and then of now, they're changing, and now they're changing it. it. So as far as I'm concerned, it worked. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, we are thankful for your silent protest. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, Brandon, I think uh, James should get the treatment we all did. Um, James, what was your first game, and what was your what's been your favorite game you've ever played? Well, I think my first game was The Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening for the original Game Boy with the like the gray one with the four double a batteries i think that was my first game and i played several other games before i ever beat that game because it was long and i was a stupid child and so there were some (laughs) of the puzzles that just were real tough for me to figure out and there was no internet back in those dark days (laughs) (laughs) and so i couldn't just like look up like i could go to the library and like look, look at nintendo power magazine Yep. <laughs> and try to figure stuff oh, out wow. but like they weren't they didn't have like a walkthrough for the whole game so it'd be like you know the first couple levels or whatever just to get you to whine at your parents to go buy you the game and then you just were stuck um, <laughs> and there was no like game store in the town i lived in so it wasn't like i could go out and just buy like one of the official like uh, who i forget who it was that like made all those walkthroughs but like it's like like game did game facts originate as like a hard copy is that Right, or is there, I was there somebody no else? Idea. The first time I, I got oh, on GameFAQs was, was when I got the internet. Yeah, that uh, probably started his website. So I don't know, but I obsessed over Link's Awakening so much that I started having dreams about like the puzzles that I was stuck on in that game. <laughs> and I was convinced that I was like precognitive for a while because <laughs> I would think so much about the game and then I would have a dream. And like sometimes it would work because I just thought about it so much that like somehow my subconscious would just like figure out what it was I was supposed to do and I would learn it through a dream. And then I'd be like, <laughs> I'm psychic. <laughs> this, game is, this game is very important and I just figured it out with psychic powers. Um, and that's never happened to me since. Um, 
Because he still hasn't beaten the game. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever thought about a game as much as I thought about that game, and I think I'm still not psychic. So, <laughs> but that was definitely my first game, and I have a definite soft spot for it. Um, I I don't know that I would say that it's my favorite, but it was definitely very uh, formative. I've like it it set me down a path where I've played basically every Zelda game except for Skyward Sword and maybe one of the. Spirit Tracks is that the one? Yeah, from like yeah. The PDS? I don't think I. Uh, I don't, I don't think, think I ever played that, played that one either. But yeah, I'm I kind of in that same boat. Getting a second Game Boy and a Link cable so that I could do the Oracle of Seasons, Oracle of Ages, like crossover thing. Right. It literally, right. just adds one boss to the end of the game. My <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm gonna see that last boss. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was definitely cool, but like. Yeah, I don't know. People as much as people complain about like EA and stuff like that now. Nintendo used to do this kind of shit all the time, where they would just like, like Pokemon's another good example, but where they like create a scenario where if you want to enjoy all the content on your own, like you don't have a bunch of friends that are playing the same games, right? You are just forced to spend by like buying an extra system to see the end of a game. (laughs) Would not fly now. But Nintendo got away with it back then and nobody really is nobody really cares now. I mean it's it's in the past, but like looking back at it, that was like some of the most predatory like horseshit I've seen from like a developer. (laughs) Um but that being said, I did do it. So (laughs) I I like Zelda. Um as far as a favorite game, uh it's gonna be The Witcher 3. Nice. Just like Tyler. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. That game pretty much speaks for itself. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's too much to say about it. It's perfect in every way. <laughs> or at least, for, at least for me anyway. I think it, it is kind of funny. I went back the other day, like, like literally just last week and I was trying to play it again and I was trying to look at it really objectively and just seeing like how well it holds up and, and yeah, okay. I'm willing to admit like, obviously no game is truly perfect. But man, like in terms of just like atmosphere and storytelling combined with pretty darn solid combat mechanics. When it came out, the graphics were incredible. The combat system is extremely good. Um, Even if it was just an action game, it would be very good. Yeah. And 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 I mean, it's one of the best written games I've ever played where I never felt a single time while playing through a very long game that I was ever grinding to get to anything. Right. Like, Which is rare in RPGs. The side quests were some of the, like the, the main story of the game is, is very impressive, but even just doing the side quests, you never feel like, oh, I'm doing this till I get an item or anything like that. You do everything because you want to do it because it's all, it's all well-written and interesting and you want to know what happens. And I don't know, it's just... The choices you make do matter. They pay off later in the game. Some of them in very major ways. Others just in ways where you might try to do the right thing and then set a village down a path that later leads to them experiencing some kind of horrible tragedy. But not always. So you're never like, you never get cynical playing a game and just being like, well, this obviously is going to cause this result. Like you're never quite sure what's going to happen. Yeah. You always... So you're just kind of stuck trying to trying to do whatever you feel is right and then trying not to feel responsible for what happened. <laughs> and 
it's just like real life. <laughs> it's, it's one of the only games where that is like very choice based like that, which we'll we'll get to next week, I think. But um, where it it doesn't it doesn't make you make like good and evil choices, but it also doesn't feel like the choices that you make just lead to the same conclusion. So one thing I learned from The Witcher Three is tyromancy, the art of telling the future by fermenting cheese. Ah. Uh. <laughs> See, I was always a fan of the Lesbomancy, yeah, my favorite type of magic. <laughs> you didn't play that in The Witcher 2. There's, there's a bit of Lesbomancy in that game. Wow. Which, well, as... It's kind of an inside joke, but yeah. yeah as categorized by the dwarves, who are not. <laughs> not the ones in charge of naming magic, fortunately. But yeah, my favorite game would definitely be The Witcher 3 and uh, probably will remain so until at least September whenever Cyberpunk comes out and we'll see. <laughs> I have very high expectations for that game. I feel like we've already had this conversation already. <laughs> Tyler, are you the same person as James? Well, uh, uh, when, it comes, yeah. when it comes to <laughs> games, our brains here, are but, uh, Look, if I, CD Projekt right now is what like Valve used to be. <laughs> CD Projekt Red, so hot right now. Yes. Their stonks are astronomical. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that does that brings up a, a really interesting point. Uh, so CD Projekt Red just became the most valuable games company in Europe, I believe. I could have this. You'll have to fact check me, but I want to say like it was pretty. It came out. We pretty don't recently, fact check anymore. Like they. Uh, That's interesting. They isn't, just Ubisoft they, is France based, isn't it? Yes, Mostly. and they apparently just surpassed Ubisoft. Like that was why wow. it was such a big deal. Is that they? Well, I'm like, happy that was to what hear the that. Was. Yeah, they, I thought that was pretty cool. They've innovated in pretty much every game that they've made, and made like crazy improvements over the last iteration. Like if you look at The Witcher One to The Witcher Two to The Witcher Three, every single game is like leaps and bounds ahead of the one before it. Yeah, and it, then admittedly, if you look at Ubisoft, it's like well. I mean, you made a good game, but it's like... It's it's just... Am I going to play Far Cry 6 when it's like the same thing as Far Cry 5, which is the same thing as Far Cry... <laughs> like Far Cry... The, the Far Cry series has not changed since 3 came out, yeah. basically. <laughs> I guess... And, well, thank God Destiny 1 changed from Destiny 2. Man, oh, I am so glad that we got all of those nerfs. <laughs> Look, let's not talk about Year 1 Destiny 2. but no i mean i think you bring up a good point like that's that's like if you compare the two companies like i mean granted you know that the end of the day they're both out there trying to do the same thing i think an important point tyler is cd project red owns a digital distribution platform where ubisoft really doesn't at least not to the same scale I was going to say that that makes a lot more sense. Ubisoft does have that their fact because they have their own there. store platform, but they do not have uh, where CD Projekt Red has good old games where yeah. it is yeah. a wide distribution thing. Ubisoft has which their own DOG launcher. Which is huge on PC, which yes. maybe it's only on PC, but it is. It, I believe it is only on PC, but that would be a large that, part of why. They would okay. be larger than that. Because I was going to say, I like, like 
I they don't remember. produce enough games to be larger just by software sales. Right, right. That's what I was going to say. Like, honestly, that's that's why I was so surprised by the news when I was thinking about it in those terms because I was like, CD Projekt Red has such a small catalog. I just had, I had no way of envisioning how they could overtake Ubisoft. That makes more sense. I, mean, I think it is still impressive games. because even though there's a greater volume of games on it, there's a lot of the games on GOG, you know, you're paying like five, ten bucks for, whereas Ubisoft is a little bit, you know, it's kind of like buying Call of Duty where like you buy the one like that came out a few years ago and you're still not saving like that much on it. Right. They are better about doing deep sales for their old titles than Activision is. Yeah, they they hardly ever do that. Like oh, I remember Activision. Modern Warfare, like the original or the, not the original, but the remastered version, I think was free a while back. And that was like a huge deal. So, James, one of the things you kind of touched on, you were talking about, like, the the way that the, the choices really impact the narrative in The Witcher 3. Yeah. Like, I think we can both, like, both you and I feel like, you know, for us, that's a big selling point of the game, or at least I definitely feel that way, because I really love it when I feel like I have agency and you know, like the writing is sharp, the dialogue is great, and yet you still feel like you have an impact on the story. And you kind of mentioned like, I don't know, Brandon, was that something uh, that we were going to go ahead and get into on this episode where we talk about that mechanic in games and kind of, uh, you know, kind of like choice and uh, decision-based narratives and things like that? Was that something we were going to cover today? Uh, We were going to issue an apology to our viewers that we are not talking about what we said we were going to talk about. And (laughs) we gave, we just, we just threw a big fat lie right in the face of the viewers. Um, All 26 (laughs) of them, just a big wad of lie. Just, um, but yeah, I think so so, uh, Detroit will be coming, but you know, we wanted to take our time with it and really come back next week. Um, where we've all had a chance to finish the game and kind of go over hey. some of the choices we've made. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get that out to everybody next week. But in the meantime, like you were saying, I think, you know, that would be kind of a cool thing to talk about, just what other types of games are like that, where they utilize that mechanic. You brought up, I remember we were talking, you mentioned like the Telltale games. Yeah, so so for the, the fans that don't know what those are, Telltale games are very linear games. There's not a whole lot of open world or anything like that. You, you interact with a very limited space. Um, you can only interact with a few objects. You, you ha- you're, the scenes, the areas are very small. It's kind of like one of those books that you used to read where you get to the end choose of... Choose your own adventure. Yeah, choose your adventure. Uh, yep. And that's, that's what we're calling Telltale Games. So they've turned those choose your adventure books into a video game. Yeah, so the first one they came out with was The Walking Dead, I believe. Yeah, I think that was the one they launched with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they did three seasons of that. I know they also did like a side quest that was like dealt with Michonne from the TV series, like a thousand days oh, or something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, I forget about that. But yeah, and then they had um, The Wolf Among Us, which was kind of uh, a Grimm's... Probably my personal favorite. Kind of a Grimm's fairy tale <laughs> where you play as a detective and you're interacting with lots of different storybook characters. Yeah, that one was uh, based on a comic book series called Fables, oh, okay. I believe. Um, and yeah, that one... Um, so that was probably my personal favorite out of their catalog. Um, yeah, but. and then the other ones I played, they had two seasons of a Batman one, 
where that one was kind of fun because you got to play as both Bruce Wayne and Batman. And the decisions you made as both characters influenced how the other character had to deal with other people. So that was kind of cool. And then their only Marvel um, iteration before they shut down was Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I never which, knew that. Yep, that one worked well because there was just so many characters that you had to balance your relationship with. Um, so that was kind of fun. And uh, they also had uh, Tales from the Borderlands was another ah, one that I know. That's right. Telltale. Yep. Did a Game of Thrones game, which I played. Oh, that's right. Of, yeah, the Game of Thrones one tell you in a minute why i didn't play all of this so this is really really interesting because i will say um like i am a huge huge fan of interactive storytelling and again making decisions and like dialogue heavy games but i will say like i'm not honestly the biggest fan of a lot of the material that telltale has put out like i i guess for me, the biggest issue that I had with certainly some of their later games, like, don't get me wrong, some of them, like Tales from the Borderlands, uh, although I never actually played myself, I've heard a lot of people say that that's one of their favorite, like, honestly, just Borderlands games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say I really enjoyed The Wolf Among Us. Yep. Um, and obviously, I was totally invested and on board with the first few seasons of The Walking Dead. I, yeah. think, I, I think I only completed the first and second seasons, but they were really good. However, even as early as like going back and playing those games, one thing that's always kind of bugged me about the Telltale approach, and you know, it's totally understandable just from a resource management perspective and a game design perspective, but those games I feel like offer a lot of illusion of choice yeah. rather than actual like meaningful consequences to your actions in game. Like for me, it really hammered home when there was one point when I was playing one of the Batman seasons. And I literally like AFK, like I just set the controller down and I looked over and Batman was just like getting the piss beaten out of him. And it didn't matter. Like the outcome was exactly the same. Like it was a section that like I'd played or like I'd seen and like, it just didn't matter. Like you couldn't fail it. Like you couldn't fail the quick time events basically like, and, and I don't know, maybe there were consequences that came like further down the line. But it just felt like such a pervasive thing where like eventually there were just like little changes here and there, but not really, it never really felt like you had a big impact on the story, like how it played out. It's like each episode you were going to hit your five major choices, no matter what. It's just that your choices you made along the way just kind of affected your relationship with the other characters, which like you said, I could get into that when you first start out, but after a while, you're just like, okay, this is kind of like, yeah, I want you to be my friend, but at the same time, like, it's not going to matter. Right. I think playing The Walking Dead first kind of set mm. different expectations for what other Telltale games were going to be. Um, because in the, the first season of The Walking Dead, I haven't played the second, but in the first one, your choices do have a pretty large impact on how the narrative plays out with regard yeah. to right. any character yeah. that isn't you or the girl. Um, and as far as I can tell, the the ending is more or less the same no matter what you do, but how you get to that point diverges quite a bit depending on, on the choices you make. And part of that is because it's, you know, it's The Walking Dead. So like, you know, some like somebody or multiple people are going to die in every episode and your choices have a big impact on how 
that plays and there's definitely like there's definitely something to be said for like i mean that's um, that's it though like i mean characters living or dying things like that on the surface may seem well, i don't want to say unimportant but uh, like at the end of the day it's really just about creating a unique journey and there are a lot of ways to accomplish that but it's kind of like you know a character coming in wearing a different hat than they might otherwise <laughs> have been like to provide an extreme example like that's not really changing up the journey you know what i mean like you're not really seeing new content and like it felt like yeah, yeah like you were saying it felt like we were seeing a transition away from games and stories where you know maybe a significant character dies early on in a chapter and that drastically affects the way your journey plays yeah, out because most versus most of those games yeah, you had the choice of saving a character or not, but they weren't going to be at the end for the big event anyway, so who cares? I think right. if, you, yep. if you look at The Walking Dead Season 1 as being less about you and more about, uh, what's his face, Kenny, the guy with the red hat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because his story plays out very differently depending on how you play it. And yeah. I think he I think he will always make it to the final episode alive. He shows up in Season 2. But how messed up he is by then and the choices that he's had to make and will make in that episode. Right. Um, just the the effect the, the effect that you can see everything having on him, I think was one of the most interesting parts of that game to me. Yeah. You, you kind of know like like Clementine, she's gonna be fine. Cause that's kind of the whole point of the game. Like you're not gonna be able to screw up so badly that, that things end badly for her. But, yeah. Kenny is kind of the, I don't know if he's really a secondary protagonist, but he's definitely the the biggest of the secondary characters in that game. And the way his story plays out and the things that happen to him are still very visible because he's pretty much always with you. And to me, at least, that was one of the more interesting aspects of the game, which I thought worked out well in that they didn't, you know, like Tyler was saying, they have to manage their resources, obviously. Um, and so making it more about the things that happen in between the beginning and the end maybe makes more sense for them than trying to have, you know, 50 different endings or whatever yeah. that some games try to do and often poorly. <laughs> so Yeah. And I mean, really, I think what for me seems to have kind of hurt Telltale the most, if I'm being honest, like, and again, I don't know anything about like, I don't want to comment on their internal workings or anything, but just from an outsider's perspective, what it looks like to me is you have a small studio that like had some big hits, got really successful really quickly. And then they maybe just tried to bite off more than they could chew. Like they had too many projects that they were working on simultaneously. I just feel like some of the care and attention that goes into those side characters and in creating like multiple branching pathways and like really diverse gameplay experiences. Like I feel like they lost some of that. I think it was partly that. I think that one of the things Telltale always struggled with was like, you know, how much of a, how much of a story is it versus like how good of a game is it? Yeah. Um, that's, and ultimately I think that is hard to do. because I could, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, part of the reason that they went under was that they were devoting a lot of money towards developing a new engine, which they mm. did desperately need because their games are yeah. janky yeah. and the engine they were using really limited what they could do graphically, what they could do you know, animation-wise. Um, right. And so it's a decision that made sense, I think, for them. But I also think that, like you were saying, that just sort of that balance of being a small studio and getting extremely popular 
really resulted in a lot of different ways that they could go. And it, yeah. it could be that they just, they try to do too much at once um, and, and ultimately sources to, to pull it off. So something just occurred to me that maybe they can try if they get another type of studio to do what Telltale was doing with the next generation, since they will likely have solid state drives. But one of the things about these choose your adventure books from the past that these games don't have is hard fail states that are very frequent. True. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of quick time events um, in, in other games, but I will say, like, I remember playing Resident Evil 4, I think, um, and they, were, they weren't exactly frequent, but they would show up in cutscenes, and if you failed them, you died. Yeah. I see, and I like they were, they were cool. They were very well done, and it was already a very cinematic kind of a game. Yeah, and I don't know. It, it was kind of novel in that game, and maybe the you know other other games subsequently have kind of overdone it. But um, I, I think I know what you're getting at, and I would definitely give it a shot if you have the ability to get back to a spot really quickly, and you can explore those branches most of them end with you dying in some way yeah uh, i it would be just like well i kept my thumb on this page i never left it's it's fine i'm continuing or it'd be right. kind of fun if you like did it like D and you just rolled a new character so like once you died you just you start playing another person in that story yeah and i mean there are games that have kind of have taken that very approach like you look at a game like uh one that comes to mind is like rogue legacy is one where basically it's it's if you're not familiar with kind of the roguelike genre of games in general or even just like the rogue style of gameplay it basically you know it it really emphasizes that uh potential for like catastrophic failure at any point basically like you can lose your character and you're forced to either you know go back and pick up your loot with a new character or basically just start the game over quickly and it kind of has like a rapid fire pace uh rogue legacy is kind of interesting because you basically have this this family and every time a character dies you're taken like uh, that character spot is basically taken by their successor like their child mm. and so you kind of continue on with this family line and there are there are other games that have done this before but i think that's kind of an interesting concept that's that's kind of one way around that like hard fail state that you were talking about where it still gives you some sense of consequence and meaning um but yet the story can still continue um and there's another game uh like Let's see, Fallen London um, is the, there's like a, a browser-based game, text kind of based game called like Fallen London. And then they released something called like, uh, shoot, I'm blanking on the name now, but it was kind of like this very like Lovecraftian-esque kind of uh, like submersible, like steamboat exploration game. And the oh. same was true in that too. Your character could totally, uh, it was like under the, under the oh, sea. Sunken or... something. I think I remember you showing me that. That was a very cool game. Where you got a little yeah. and you, yeah. yeah. And, and it was very, very text-based, like pretty simple UI and graphics and everything. But, you know, it got the job done. It created the atmosphere and you like sailed around, explored these different islands and things. And when your character died, if you had 
you know, if you had like fallen in love and like had a like a child out of wedlock or something <laughs> in one of the cities, it's like that character would then grow up and like take over the story, like as captain of a new boat, and they would like inherit some of your possessions if you'd set up like a, a will and all kinds of crazy stuff like this. And so that's I like just fantastic writing and like fantastic atmosphere. And I really liked the way that game did it. So um, that that's a good example to me of kind of managing that what balance would you think about a like a quick time based final destination game um, like a netflix movie <laughs> <laughs> like, like, thing, like you got it you got a solid state like everything loads hella fast you just have like insane graphics like off the wall like gory deaths that happen constantly because you're constantly picking the wrong thing so you don't, oh, you don't really that? miss out on them because odds are you're going to see most of them because you're going to just keep screwing up a lot. And and it's a Final Destination game. Well, there is that current trend that seems to be starting where they are having an uh, uptick of your choose-your-own-adventure movies. They've had Bandersnatch on Netflix. They have the... Yes, the, thank you, Bandersnatch. That was the one that was Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie just came out. There's a couple oh, yeah. on consoles that you can get. Uh, so it seems to be something that they are starting to explore. So it's like if they, I, they might not have the budget to do a final fan or a final destination one. <laughs> Until Dawn. So you mentioning that, James, that's another, that's another game that I was trying to remember that uh, so that's a, I think a PS4 exclusive, um, but it's kind of like a choose your own adventure, uh, very cinematic um, kind of, just has the look and feel of like a traditional like horror film or something like, I don't know, or even like cabin in the woods or something like that. But uh, I've seen some playthroughs that I haven't actually played it myself, but that's, you know, that's something I'm kind of interested in checking out. That one has and, some uh, big name actors too, didn't it? Well, I probably are a big name now, but I don't think they were at the time. Came out in 2015. It was like a, I, I, sounds about right. Cause it was shortly after PS4 launched, I think. Those kind of games always fascinate me, but I do have a problem when they're, if it's a AAA title that you're paying 60 bucks for, because yeah. it's very, very difficult to make one of those games engaging for an extremely long period of time. So most of them are more kind of, you know, Nit. not exactly movie length, yeah. but they're short and they don't have a whole lot of replay value because there's not like the, the thing that keeps you going back isn't the gameplay loop like it's seeing the content and so once you've seen the content you don't have any sort of reason to, yeah. to keep and if, if you want to see different endings you can just go to youtube and watch right and so that i think that's yeah, kind of the it's... issue with those type of games is that they they're they're a very fun and worthwhile experience but when you're talking about video games and what the competition is if there's a game i can play for 100 hours why am i going to do that versus a game where i've seen everything it has to offer in six hours yeah and two are the same price it's it's just it is a very interesting phenomenon within gaming that like that particular like like it's it's a genre that's so like near and dear to my heart like that's the thing is i love games like that but at the same time i get the the argument that you're making exactly that it's like some games just have a really satisfying gameplay loop like you look at a game like counter-strike or something like that or like a lot of mobas these days almost basically no story 
but the core gameplay is just so fun and almost like sport-like in a sense that you can just pick it up you can play it for hours and hours and hours so in terms of like you know entertainment value per like dollars per hour or whatever you can just get a ton of value for your money out of a game like that where sometimes it's a little bit of a trickier prospect to be like yeah this game is you know it's a a, like a basically three to four hour kind of playthrough and yeah you can play through it multiple times but it's kind of like you've seen your you've made your journey like your story in four hours five hours whatever the play time might be i think um um, and so that's kind of tough it's like you said it's all about balancing those resources yeah and a game i feel like the it's not heavy on the choices i mean the overall game is kind of a choice but the gameplay is so fun and the choices you make influence the mechanics of how you play a good one brandon i think you one you enjoy a lot is infamous yep where like um the decisions it's kind of general but like i know there's small mechanics like you know, for example, I pl- I'll let you speak for how you played it, but I played as the evil Cole. And one of the things you can do to regenerate health is just to kill someone who's just walking on the street and just kind of, you know, suck up their soul, which was kind of nice because I always had a source of health just all the way around <laughs> me. But if you were playing the good track, you didn't have that obviously available to you. Yeah, I've actually played, I played Infamous 2, both good and bad. I don't know that I ever actually played Infamous 1. I might have just watched like Evan play the whole thing. I guess the the main premise of the game. So Infamous is, you know, you're you basically have superpowers. Um you're what it's called a conduit, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you're what's called a conduit and and conduits just have like special abilities and you can use your abilities um kind of like you know, Spider-Man, Batman, where, you know, you, you're, you know, you're true to a fault, no killing whatsoever. You know, even the bad guys you restrain as opposed to end. And it's cool because you have karma and good karma or bad karma. And the, in Infamous 1, you know, the choices you make doesn't really affect like the cutscenes and, and stuff quite as much. Um, yeah. But Infamous 2 really, really, I, I, I mean, that, I think that is my favorite game you know, choice-based game I've ever played. I think in Infamous 1 and 2, you had a different set of skills you could learn if you were, mm-hmm. uh, if you chose bad karma or if you chose good karma. And so in Infamous 1, you're kind of introduced to this, you know, you, you know, you go around as a bad guy and just walking the streets and you have just civilians <laughs> to just scream and run away or if you get bad enough they'll start throwing stuff at you and hurting you right yeah. and you know the cops will attack you and shoot you so you have like an extra set of enemies like you've got the enemy of the game and then also you know the cops that are mad at you but um in infamous 2 i mean the final decision for infamous 2 is such throws you for such a loop i remember having to to stop playing <laughs> and I couldn't make a decision. I was like, I want to keep playing as the good guy, but the good guy track, I don't th- think is the good guy. Um, and so I, oh, it, okay. it really made me feel like the 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 decision you have to make at the end of Infamous Two, so th- they flip flop. So like the good karma track, like the the good karma decision, feels wrong you've been playing as the good guy and you've had all of this dialogue 
and then they ask you to make that decision and you're like i can't do that but but i'm playing as the the good track so i kind of i, I kind of have to but you've you're so invested that i think the game's been out long enough i think you can spoil what the choice is i was gonna say i don't even remember the big ending in infamous 2 i remember more about the first game so i I can i can talk about it if you don't want to yeah do it because i think you'll you'll explain it better than i will so spoilers (laughs) right spoilers for a game that came out in like (laughs) for the ps3 ps3 (laughs) (laughs) like 2010 or something yeah, I was going to say, wasn't uh, Infamous 2 a launch title for the PS4? So Yeah, that was Second yeah, Son. Second Son was. Oh, yeah. okay. First, the original oh, Infamous so was, was a launch okay, title for the PS3. Um, but no, so in the end of Infamous 2, you have the, the good guy choice is that you... So throughout the game, you, re, you learn that there are other people that can have superpowers too. Um, other conduits, yeah. Yeah, there are other conduits. And then there is a particular conduit who's called the beast um, who is coming to new Marais and you're trying to stop him or you're supposed to be trying to stop him. Um, and the beast, what he can do is he can activate new conduits. And so in that final choice, you have the choice between sacrificing yourself and all the other conduits, because when you activate your powers, you also become the carrier for like this plague that'll wipe out all non powered people. And then the other choice you have is that you can take on the beast's power and become him and you can activate all the conduits all over the globe. But then of course that triggers a civil war between the humans and the conduits. Um, and then the, the, the ending cutscene implies of course that the conduits win because obviously. Um, but yeah, the and then the interesting thing is like throughout the game you have one character who's who's like you're the the angel on your shoulder who's trying to get you to be the nice person and then the other one isn't she like a um, cop or something yeah she's an she's an ex-cop who when she becomes a conduit it kind of ruins her life versus someone who was experimented on and that's how she got her powers and she's like fully out for revenge the whole time she's like you know screw humans they hurt us so we're gonna hurt them back blah 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 and then those people switch in the end. And so like the girl who's been the angel on her shoulder the whole time, she's like, she, she's embraced her power. She's embraced what she's become. Well, she doesn't want to die. Yeah. And that too. Yeah. She doesn't want to die as well. Um, and then the other, the other woman who's been the devil on your shoulder the whole time, she's like, you, she's like, I just wanted revenge on the people that hurt me, but you're taking this beyond these people. You're, 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 this has global implications. Um, and it, it, I'm drastically dumbing it down, but how they pitch it to you um, and how, like, especially with the evil ending, I feel like all the little, like, the evil things that you do get you to, like, it builds you up to making this really bad choice and you don't realize it until the end. You're like, oh, this is, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it. Um, right. And to me, that's what, that's what I love about moral choice games. Is like, if I'm, if I'm playing the evil track and I'm not a selfish person in real life, the evil choices should bother me. Like I shouldn't be comfortable with dropping a bomb on a building to save one person and kill a hundred, which is what I love about infamous too, is that they really get you in those emotional beats. Right. Yeah. And I think you're kind of touching on something that's cool. Like, you know, you're mentioning how there is kind of like this, like, very distinct dichotomy it's like a good path and an evil path but at the same time in that game it sounds like one thing it did really well or it succeeded at was still having interesting like 
moral conundrums or like moral dilemmas that you have to kind of debate about. And that's somewhere where that's something that I feel like we've come a long ways in choice based games is like we've moved away from just having yeah. that clear cut like you can be the bad guy or the good guy. And now it's like, uh, let's have a little more like gray area in here that actually makes for some interesting actual decision-making and there's nothing wrong with being able to go full full-on bad guy or like you know <laughs> role-playing is like okay i'm gonna give my character a super low intelligence score i'm gonna just play like a dumbass through the whole game <laughs> like i am all on board with games that give you those kinds of choices too massive um but <laughs> right so that's uh, yeah it's impossible to mention choice in gaming without bringing up mass effect yeah and the whole paragon <laughs> renegade say what you will whether you liked you know the the classic bioware system or not i don't think any of you uh played it but the most recent call of duty game the campaign had very interesting parts where like you burst into a house there's some people that are just civilians and some people that are terrorists and there can be a section where like, you shoot somebody because maybe you died in this level and you know this person is going to pull a gun. But they all like, hey, why are you shooting someone that isn't armed? Oh. They don't call any attention to it. There's just a line of dialogue like what you're doing is a war crime. That's and you have to, yeah, I love stuff like that. Yeah, you have to reconcile with that. And there were some bits that were like, see... What I I did because I played <laughs> through it is now illegal, but I've now saved somebody's life, and this like you just have to really determine how you feel having committed a war crime, and it's never talked about. And I haven't even really seen like reviewers of the game having said much about some of the interesting story beats that happened. That they wrote it really well, but they don't ever call in any attention to it. Right. Yeah, I feel like I, I would totally agree. I feel like that's something that's a little bit underappreciated in games is just like that's that's what's so powerful about the medium is that interactive nature of it where you as the player or you kind of run into this too with tabletop gaming. I think it's part of the reason I love tabletop RPG so much too, but it's like you as the player may have a totally different set of knowledge than the character going through the game or the character going through you know in like a dd session or something like that but it's like it's that ability to kind of blend the two the ability to create a narrative and then have characters that you control and understand like working within that story kind of like cogs in a machine and it's just there's just nothing quite like that experience to me so part of the reason i love gaming and part of why these games are some of my favorites Part of it is sort of the escapism too. Like I know um, Evan kind of touched on like making a, you know, being the bad guy. If the game is, is written in a way that really resonates with you, that should be difficult for you. But I also feel True. like gaming is kind of an escapist activity as well. And sure. it's maybe not true for every game. And maybe it's because... <laughs> the bar for writing in games is not real high. I generally speaking <laughs> play I'm most just... games like a bad guy and don't have any hesitations doing them. Like, <laughs> if it's Mass Effect, well, I'm a bad guy. And I mean it... if it, uh, whatever the Call of Duty was, you know, or they have like the airport level, like I'm no Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a video game. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember people like being like, oh, you shouldn't do that or whatever. And it's like, dude, 
whatever. <laughs> but I also know what you're saying because when, I, when I'm playing like the like The Witcher or uh, I don't want to make the whole episode about The Witcher. I'm trying to think of another example, but like, you know, a game that I really feel extremely connected to. Yeah. I try to do the right thing in it. But I also feel like Mass Effect's a good example. I love the game, but I think it's extremely funny to play the game like a <laughs> I think well and that there are times there there's times in games where like just the gameplay mechanics are entirely at odds with um the role playing if that makes any sense like if it doesn't offer adequate like consequence for breaking in and stealing stuff then there's really no disincentive doing it you know what i mean like i remember like one of my favorite like role-playing experiences like that is i was playing skyrim one time right and uh one of my roommates came in and he like he saw that i could like pick up and move around everything and steal everything he's like dude why did you just leave all that money behind why didn't you steal everything (laughs) in that guy's house and i was like well because i'm not role-playing like a psychotic (laughs) (laughs) bastard (laughs) like Elder Scrolls game. First thing I do is figure out how to join the Dark Brotherhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, and there were and there were other playthroughs where obviously that's what I did because, like, you know, that's that's for me that's all part of the experience is saying like, okay, I'm going to set my own limits for myself on like what what my character would and would not do in this world. And so I really like like Skyrim is a great example. Like I played the crap out of the game and love it. And even Fallout 4, like, yes, they removed some of the role-playing elements, maybe a bit. Like, you had more kind of, like, streamlined dialogue options and just kind of general um, paths that your character would kind of take. But at the same time, they maintained a lot of that, that like, role-playing, like, hey, if I'm going to be the scientist dude who uses lasers, like, you can make yourself use that and get through with that play style through the game. And I, I really like yeah, it. Speaking of Tyler, th- like Fallout 4 often gets a bad rap online for how they handled the uh, dialogue system mm-hmm. and everything. But for me, the Fallout games were very much like there's two worlds, the world you're going through and taking everything because you're, you need to survive and kill everything that's trying to kill you. <laughs> right. The other world is piecing together weird stories that just are in the environment like there's two skeletons lying on a bed and there's drugs next to them well they took the easy way out when the bombs dropped. right and putting those stories together or you come across a bathtub and there's a skeleton and a toaster in it and like huh i i see what happened here and you know Fallout yeah. 4 did a really good job i feel like in the like the overarching narrative of the story like the, there was a lot of different factions mm-hmm. you could sort of join and back in the game and a lot of those narratives were really satisfying i think it was partly because of the dialogue system but the the minute to minute role playing in that in 4 um, was a pretty big step down from new vegas um, I forget. I, it's been a long time since I played three, so I don't really remember, you know, how much choice you had in that. But New Vegas, partly because it was text-based dialogue. So I mean, I get like, you know, patient there when you're trying to voice everything. But like that one had you really. There was a lot of different factions in the game, and at any point you could you could side with any of them, or not, or side with one. You know, at one time you had the whatever kind of the government. Uh, faction that was like the best option for like restoring some semblance of order to the wasteland but they also were really evil (laughs) 
Well, they weren't exactly evil, but they were. Uh, well, are, you're talking about New Vegas, right? Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Where it's the whatever you know, they had a lot of rules. Like, oh, could, I was, I'm sorry, you're talking um, about the California, the new California Republic. Yeah, the California Republic or whatever, where it was like they, they're kind they're of the good guys, thin. except like there's a guy you can meet there who's like he's gay, but he can't tell anybody because they're like super against that. And then there's uh, Caesar's Legion or Kaiser, whatever they, they call him in the game. And they are like a complete meritocracy, which sounds good, except they're like extremely brutal. And if you don't meet, if you don't impress them, then you're a slave. And so like, they're not, neither one's like really a great option and you don't have to back either one. You can kind of just go off on your own and do your own thing. But like every interaction that you have with an NPC in that game, you've got a lot of different choices and each choice is different, where four, you kind of have four different options that are all one way of, you know, or four different ways to kind yeah, of say it's, the same it's thing. four ways of continuing this story arc. Yeah, if New Vegas didn't exist, I don't think people would complain about four nearly as much as they did, because it is a good game. It just is not as strong of a role-playing game as New Vegas or the the old fallouts like the isometric but i mean in terms of the environmental storytelling and the role-playing perspective you know as a solo person kind of making their way through the wasteland i think you hit the nail on the head nick like honestly fallout 4 still does a fantastic job of that so i mean there's a reason fallout 4 is still one of my most played games ever it just also doesn't happen to have like 800 hours like I have in Skyrim. <laughs> like, so. Well, Skyrim is, is kind of a, like the, the expansions for Fallout 4 were good, um, but I don't know if any of them bring that game to the same just volume of content that Skyrim has. Yeah. Just because Fallout, I mean, you have cities, but they're not, just because of the nature of the game, you know, you're in a wasteland. So it just does not quite have the the civilization, you know, kind of the living and right. feeling that, that Skyrim has. Yeah. Oh, here's fingers crossed for Elder Scrolls Six, uh, whenever probably it comes out years. in probably five years. Are, or I'm something. sorry, are you saying you can't wait for Elder Scrolls Online 2? <laughs> You know, okay. I to be fair, like I'll, I'll say right now, I'm not I'm not an MMO fan, so I'm not gonna try it. I, I just I I've I just have never had a good MMO experience. I always get burned out. I don't like just the content delivery model for basically every MMO I've ever played. But that being said, I don't want to rag on you know Elder Scrolls Online. It looks like they're kind of doing some cool stuff, honestly. Like the community tends to be pretty happy with Elder Scrolls Online, yeah. so like they found something in it enjoyable i it's a little i don't have enough time for mmos so i haven't really played much yeah that's says says me the guy who just admitted to having put 800 hours <laughs> into skyrim but yeah i tend to agree well, like, like i skyrim just skyrim came out in like 2011 so True. i mean you've had time well and every time i turn around <laughs> and watch you play skyrim tyler you were creating a new character to go through it again so <laughs> That's, see, that's the other thing you've, you've you've hit on my see that that's what you guys need to have an intervention for me on is in games i i start i i probably only ever finish about like you know two or three playthroughs through a game i may have i kid you not like 15 to 30 different like playthroughs because i love having a character for like every single build that you can do in a game like i like i said i love rpgs and 
honestly, even on tabletop stuff, like character creation and telling stories, stories <laughs> is one of my favorite things. So, so what did you do in Oblivion where no matter what you do, your character looks bad? Um, mainly I was just disappointed that my character always looked bad, but I still had like 17 nice. of the lovable little bastards. <laughs> like <laughs> 17 times you have to hear Patrick Stewart. <laughs> or the one from my dream. <laughs> oh, his nightmares, maybe. Good God. I mean, not... Not gonna lie, I think when I played through Mass Effect Andromeda, well, I haven't finished it, but <laughs> I didn't um, finish Andromeda either. <laughs> I uh, I think I spent like forty five minutes making my character, and then they were like, "Okay, now you got to make the sister." And I'm like, <laughs> "Sorry, I'm checking out." Uh, we're just gonna. <laughs> she got dropped as a child. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> like, like, thankfully, the computer is like, okay, you use these features, so here's how we're going to kind of match it. And I was like, I'm just going to change the hair to make it look blacker, and that's it. <laughs> my sister yeah. in Andromeda was just the default, like, whatever her name is. And then... Sarah Ryder, I think. Yeah, yeah. Sarah. And then yeah. my guy, and... whatever his name was, Player is like two. This, like, bald, eyebrowless, like, albino. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you said, sometimes it's fun just but... to... I mean, that's the, again, one of the joys of video games is you can just make a bonkers off the wall bad guy or random character. I can't wait for the first game that you you get to make the ugliest character ever and you have a, a sibling character and you just show up. <laughs> and so, Tyler, when you play Cyberpunk, are you going to have multiple characters with oh, different size genitalia? Oh, uh, you better believe. Well, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, they they will absolutely have a little something. No aspect will be left uncustomized, Jared. It will be an agonizing decision he, whether this person will have to live in mediocrity or ascend to greatness in terms of their genitalia. And I'm sure we'll get high res shots. In the, well, you can probably that. cybernetically enhance it too, right? Can't you do that in the cyberpunk tabletop? Uh, yeah, the tabletop literally has. Yep, cybernetic genitalia enhancements, which, you know, this is, it, would, it, would, it, would, it would be part of the world, like, for real, that's what I mean, like, it's, it's world building, like, it's, it's, it's true, yeah, as much as people, like, harp on, like, when, when, it, when they announced that they were gonna, like, make the genitals customizable, people were like, oh, that's so dumb, like, why would you do that, but if you think about it like in a cyberpunk futuristic dystopia exactly or like, like people would mod the shit well, out of that's the thing yeah it's I, I mean that's such a staple of cyberpunk is body modification and so it's like that's yeah you don't need to focus on it a lot obviously but it's an element and just like you know just like coming up with new drugs and things like that like yeah it's a seedy underbelly element of the creation of this world but it's an important and like it's part of what makes it seem like a living breathing environment and so i yeah i think stuff like that's yeah. great that's my goal is just to make like a modded out looking like jeffrey star looking cyborg ninja most importantly <laughs> i'm ditching humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean one thing that we haven't really mentioned much you know we're talking about choice games choice based games then we haven't really even hardly touched on D D or call of cthulhu yeah um, so, I mean, we have to talk about those. Um, you know, D&D is, I will, so I've never, uh, keeped, kept as the, <laughs> for Call of Cthulhu, but right. I yeah. have, I have DM'd mm -hmm. and, you know, the prep that goes into even just a campaign, like a, like you buy a storybook, you know, story campaign and, you know, even just 
the amount of prep that goes into, you know, getting a an adventure ready each session and you know it can take you several hours and you go and you meet up with your with your with your group and they pick a decision that you had (laughs) nothing planned for yeah and they find a loophole that you hadn't thought of and it takes you three hours to prep takes 10 minutes to go through yeah so you know i mean that is like the ultimate choice-based game Um, The thing that I liked about Call of Cthulhu was like, I mean, it's kind of what Nick was harping on earlier. You can die very easily. Um, And you have to be really careful with what choices you make. I'm guessing we'll probably want to save some of that discussion for a later episode. But yeah, I could definitely give you all of my thoughts on different tabletop RPG systems and like what I like about, you know, all of them have their pros and cons. Um, like you said, you know, even in, in any of them, even like D and D, you know, you can prep for three hours and your party may come up with a solution that just blows through all that in 10 minutes. And that's both the, the beauty and the tragedy of tabletop gaming is that it's like, you know, sometimes your best laid plans can go completely awry, but that's, but that's also, like I said, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing when it's like, you know, that collaborative storytelling element. Like, there's just nothing like it. And we're seeing video games get better and better at emulating that experience, but still no replacing some good old-fashioned, throwing some dice. And playing this makes me really, really excited for Baldur's Gate 3. Yes! A little bit of a midway step between actual tabletop where the only limit is your imagination and having something already prepared I had so many characters in Larian's last <laughs> RPG, Divinity, Original Sin 2. Oh my gosh, I had, that's, that's another game. game the choices, that's one that does it really well. Oh yeah, man, I could spend a whole podcast talking about that, so I'll, I'll spare the people on that, but just just know if you if you're interested in all these story uh, storytelling and choice based games we've been talking about, look no further than Divinity, Divinity Original Sin 2. Tyler, speaking of You've beaten the game, yes, right? a couple times. <laughs> have you ever gotten to have the divinity blessing for having committed absolutely no crimes or I, done anything bad ever? I have not. I can honestly say even I had some characters who truthfully within the game world, I felt like they were pretty much almost absolute saints. But it's still kind of that, that you know, gameplay versus true role-playing mechanics where, you know, Occasionally, but, I had characters, you know, if they swiped something out of a house or something that was important. I played through it, and one of the characters I had picked, one of the main story characters that they wrote, it got to the point in his story where I no longer agreed with the path they were taking, uh-huh. uh, the the red prince. Right, so yep. I, uh, I sent him on his way, and I picked up a blank mercenary character. <laughs> so it was really fun. It was really funny to get to that point and, like, have you committed absolutely any sin ever? And it's like, oh, tons of them. But this new person, they've been with me for five minutes, so they're good. <laughs> that's an interesting loophole. Never never thought to try that, but that's fantastic. <laughs> well, I think that should probably wrap it up. What do you guys think? We've been we've been talking for a while. Yeah, I've got a I've got a dip yeah. and get ready for work. Well, James, do you think you'll uh, ever come back? Or will you be a fan now now that you're a part of it? Um Yes, I will definitely come back. Um, I don't know that it, I'm going to start listening because I, <laughs> even though you would, you'd never know it from listening to me talk, but I do hate the sound of my own voice. So. As do we all. Yep.
Yeah. I'll hate your voice, not ours. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was about to say, Jared. I was like, wow, okay. Wow, geez, guys. Excellent. <laughs> well, that's all, folks. Um, thanks for listening in. Hopefully, this isn't a horribly long episode like it was last time. Um, <laughs> Tell the people where they can find us. Yes. So, Facebook, uh, Small Constellation Podcast, Twitter. You can follow me, Peaches Brittany. Next week, we will actually talk about Detroit. Or maybe we'll just blatantly lie to your face again. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Tune in to find out. Fun if you get your shit together, Brandon. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you guys are already halfway through the game Calm when down. we talked last time. And I've had a week and I'm more than halfway through. So I'm the <laughs> one person in this group that has not been quarantined at all. <laughs> no, that's not true, Brandon. I have also been fully employed this entire time. Well, okay, I, that's... I have also not been quarantined, but working on it. <laughs> So have I, actually. <laughs> That's so cool okay. now, Brandon. Well, <laughs> the one time I've actually employed, I've been working through everything. Under the bus. Under the bus. You guys all played it prior to this, right? Yeah. yeah I, I, I had it sitting in my backlog. I finished it last weekend, so. Yeah, but you're not working. Wow. Shut up. Wow. <laughs> I'm working from home. Sort of. Yes. <laughs> wow, Brandon. <laughs> For the past week. True. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Well, uh, James, will you do the honors? Uh, our esteemed guest and fearless leader, um, take us out. Will you tell us, tell the people, bye? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so original. Hey, he, he was consistent. <laughs> oh, go out like I brought us in. <laughs> exactly.